Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Inside Boxing Live, and today is a very special episode. Uh, not only is it our, our 20th edition of the show since we started it, the weekend rafter, uh, Triple G Canelo, back in September, but I have a very special guest on the show today, and for those who know or don't know, um, the reason we have this show, Inside Boxing Live, is because it is an offset of CompuBox, and uh, I'm sure you're a boxing fan. Your MMA fan, your combat sports fan, you know what CompuBox is. We uh, and it is a, a tool that you use to measure the punches and thrown and landed in fights. And it just so happens to be that I am the son of a man who created a CompuBox, and uh, he is my father. And I figured for Father's Day weekend and for just the twentieth episode of our show, I would interview my dad. And here he is, Mr. Bob Canobio. This is pretty cool. And it's also a little strange, but overall very cool. How are you, Daniel? Thanks for having me. Thanks for, for coming on. It was very hard to get you on the show. I had to track you down. I had to just yell down the hallway. I'm glad I'm available. And so here you are. And uh, a lot of people, my friends and, and people in boxing, they always wanted to say, how come you never interviewed your dad? Um, how come you never get him on the show? He has so many good stories. But and but always was the reason was you never want to talk about any of your past achievements and you never wanted to really talk, but now I finally got you here, so I'm going to ask you a lot of very tough questions. By the way, I love the set. It's a great set. A lot of this stuff looks familiar. Seal Kenobio, your wife and my mother, uh, was very big in, in this set design with the bricks and everything, so it's a family affair at CompuBox. Yeah, it really looks looks great, and it's an honor to have the whole family involved as well. Nicholas is our super producer. Yeah, Nick, the producer, is also... He's doing a great job. Uh, yes, he's with CompuBox for 15 years. I've luck, been lucky enough to have been with CompuBox for five years as a punch counter. Just a little background. And uh, I have three other siblings that are all very successful in what, what they do. Uh, but me and Nick are part of the family business. We're all part of the family business, but me and Nick are, do a lot of day-to-day stuff with you, as well as you know Lee Groves and, and, and go down the list of CompuBox uh, punch counters. But what we want to do here is I want to get into like the beginning so far. Um, early on here in the interview, like what, how CompuBox was was pretty much invented by you and our your old partner Logan Hobson, how it all started, and uh, I feel like there's a lot of people out there. I know all the answers to these mm-hmm. questions, and and but there's people out there that don't know. There's people out there that have no idea. So first of all, I want to ask you, like, were you always a boxing fan, and um, you know, how did you get into the sport of boxing? Yeah, I always loved boxing as a kid. Um, of course, baseball is a first love, but. There was something about boxing um, when I watched. It was such. It was dramatic, and it just caught my eye at, at a young age. You watch, you know, on my father's TV, Gramps' TV, black yeah. and white TV. He wasn't watching. I happened to go in the room, turn on the TV, and it, there was a fight. I think it was uh, Bob Foster knocked out Dick Tiger with like one punch, and I'm like, wow, that was pretty exciting. So and that was then, like about the six. That late was 60s? in like '63. Wow. And right around that time, Muhammad Ali came along. And once Ali came along, everybody paid attention. 
and uh, ever since then we've you know pretty much been been hooked on the sport so you obviously always a sports fan whether it was baseball wrestling you know uh football we as canobios love sports but boxing in the 60s like you talked about was like it was in your living rooms it was muhammad ali and then you go into like the 70s obviously more muhammad ali you know george foreman the heavyweights that's when you graduated from high school that's when you went into college but never in your wildest dreams would you ever think you would work in boxing at that point right no i never did but I used to watch Ali on Wireball the Sports. They used to come on after the fights with Cosell, and they'd be in the studio. Or there'd be a fight um, on in the afternoon, and I could always picture myself being at ringside. I thought it was so cool <laughs> to see the guys in the background, you know, at a big fight. And in my mind, I, I subconsciously said, wow, I'd love to, you know, be a part of that scene at some point in time, and like you said, little did I know that it would evolve into CompuBox. But it was it was something that I had subconsciously thought about being, you know, trying to be part of that part of that scene. Well, it's different now because back then, I feel like from what I've heard is that everyone wanted to be in boxing. Like boxing was very popular, more popular than it is today. But it was like one of the, the top sports back then in the '70s and the '80s. So everyone wanted to be like part of boxing, whether it was Howard Cosell or young up-and-coming journalists, and everyone wanted to be on the boxing beat. It's a little different than it is today, but you can, I can I guess I can say that was the same for you. Yeah, I mean, because it, it's the excitement. It's the allure of being ringside at a big fight. There's nothing like it. You've, you've been there. Nick yeah. has been there as well. It's intoxicating. I think it's one of the best events, sporting events you can go to. Yeah, I mean, it just, especially the heavyweights. Back then, it was Ali, and then, you know, there was Foreman, there was Frazier. So with heavyweights, anything could happen. One punch could change everything. But it was the whole the whole scene with Vegas, you know, the lights being in Vegas, yeah. the attractiveness of Las Vegas, and you talk to any writer, like Wally, who your partner on, the, on the baseball podcast, Wally Matthews, would tell you it was the best gig. It's the best gig in the world when you're covering the right guy. He still guy. says it's the best. He's, yeah, he, he loves baseball. He's like, but if you if you ask me if I can cover any sporting event, it'll be a big boxing match. Yeah, he covered Tyson in his prime. He covered Ray Leonard, Hagel, Hearns. And like I said, he would be the first to tell you, as most other writers, journalists will say, it's... Uh, you know, it's the best gig. All right, so you you go through high school and you go to college and, and you, you play baseball in college and you study communications. And so we fast forward a little bit and you're out of college boxing still in what, the late 70s, get into the early 80s, boxing is red hot between, you know, uh, the Sugar Ray Leonard coming onto the scene, Mike Tyson in the mid 80s, but boxing is there. And you are now entering your, trying to start your career in sports. Tell us a little bit about how you got started just getting into sports before you got into boxing? I, I was very lucky. I started out working as a proofreader for a law firm. I just wanted to get a job, wanted to get into the city. And all the, a lot of the documents that I read were from Time, Inc. was one of their law firms I worked with. That was yeah. one of their clients, Time, Inc. So I kept reading their documents, Time, Inc., Time, Inc. Um, and I said, well, maybe I should try to apply for a job. So I'm looking at the, uh, I was looking at the want ads, and there was an opening at Sports Illustrated. <laughs> In the want ads. Yeah, and that's what they like called them back then. Anymore. Yeah, there was an opening for a uh, in your uh, letters department. A reader service correspondent is what they called it. So I went in there. I figured I have nothing to lose. I went down there. It was such a nice location, Time Life Building, Radio City Music Hall, right across the street. It was winter. It was really cool. And I'm like, I'd love. To, I really would like to work here. So we did the interview, um, and I met with the guy, the head interview, and he said, you know. 
there's got to be 30 people looking for this job. And Jeez. it's only a part-time job, too, because the person who had the job before me was, was taking a short leave. Mm -hmm. um, I said, well, I think I have nothing to lose. I went in, you know, did the interview, and I got the call like a couple of days later that I had that I got the job. <laughs> so from that point forward, what were your like, day-to-day -day stuff there? Day-to-day -day was um, answering letters to the editor. But my phone rang all day long. Anybody that called up with information, wanted a sports-related question or a question about the magazine, it would come through my desk. So I would all day, it was like a sports phone yeah. ahead of its time. I was answering calls all day on, you know, uh, where do I get this? How do I get in touch with MLB? Uh, so it was, a, it was a good spot to be in. And I actually met some people from ABC through that job where I ended up, you know, moving on to. But um, that was the first job. And it just so happens, too, that HBO was in the same building. Another twist of fate, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. HBO Sports was just getting off the ground back then. And I, I wasn't shy. I went right down. I found out what floor they were on, took the elevator See, that's what down. you got to do. you got to be pushy. And that's one thing I've learned from you over the years is you got to get something you want. you got to really get after it. Went down. I took the elevator down. And I just walked into Ross Greenberg's office, who was back then a producer, and introduced myself, and I told them I have access to the Sports Illustrated Library, which was like all clips, folders mm -hmm. of everybody, uh, Muhammad Ali, Billy Martin. Somebody physically clipped out articles. That's how Jeez. it was back then, and put them in folders. So I had all this access to all these boxing. Like good, uh, good clips, good footage. Actual, right. actual articles from the newspaper. Um, and I said to Ross, if you ever have any, any need for any kind of boxing research, I think I can help you. And just just so happens they were planning this um, Boxing's Best, which was a, yeah. a series they ran on on the top fighters, and I got that job as a researcher through Ross, and then um, one thing led to another, and I went on the road as a, a PA, my first job with Hagler. Hagler Duran was my first trip to Vegas, 83. But if the copy box still wasn't even wasn't formed born yet. Then. So, so you went out to Vegas for Hagler versus... Duran. Duran, holy I, crap. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that. So you go out to Hagler Duran, and at this point you're like freelancing or you're working? Yeah, I was freelancing. I had my job at, at SI, Monday to Friday. Yeah. Um, and I was freelancing with HBO, and I also worked Saturdays at, at, at ABC as, uh, on the scoreboard show with Jim Lampley, who I... Got to me, but anyway, yeah, so you were kind of just like a young kid that was just really just dabbing, dabbing your toe and everything, trying to get, just trying to use your resources of what you knew and your little network. Right, but I was very fortunate to be in the right spot too. That all centered around being in that time. Well, say you got to be lucky too, right? I firmly agree. You have to have, you know, you have to have a little luck, you know, mm -hmm. um, and you have, you know, you have to be aggressive. I didn't never thought twice about. You know, talking to Ross or talking to this guy that's for funny, me, I just like felt like it. Would... That's like equivalent now to like a link, sending a LinkedIn message or an email. It doesn't have the same effect as you, you know, having the guts to to go up to someone like that and kind of introduce yourself and make a an impression on someone. Nowadays, you send like a LinkedIn message, you send an email. It doesn't have the same allure of going up to meet him. But you know, from that point forward, you know, you you're out in Vegas. You're at a Hagler fight. I know that there's a funny story. Weren't you in the wrong locker room? No, what happened was for Hagler, Hagler Duran, they put me in the locker room. I was the I was supposed to cue Hagler to from the locker room to the holding area. Yeah. So when Marvin shows up, he's got a suit and everything. He goes in the locker room and he shuts the door and he wouldn't let me in. <laughs> so I'm talking on yeah, the yeah. I'm on the headset to Ross Ross, I, I can't get in the locker room. 
He says, just stay there. He'll let you in. I said, I'm not going to do it. He won't let me in. So one thing led to another. I just took off. I went. <laughs> He's keep in mind that Ross Greenberg that you keep mentioning was at this time was a producer, right? He was just a producer. He eventually went on to be the president of HBO Sports. Right. So I go to ringside because I'm like, I want to get a good seat for this fight. This will be a good fight. So I go in. I sit ringside. It's something I, I would do. So yeah. So I see across the ring, there's the other stage manager, this guy Jake, and he goes, Ross is looking for you. And he goes, you better get back in there. Oh, okay. So I go back in there and he goes, get on that headset and don't move. <laughs> don't don't move. I'm like, all right. So I put the headset back on and I stayed there. And um, finally the introductions, you know, the fighter and I said, Ross, can I, can I get out now? He goes, all right, go. And I, you know, got my seat. But yeah, I got off to a little bit of a shaky start. <laughs> yeah, but apparently but, it wasn't too bad. You didn't burn too many bridges. So that's 1983. Got your first taste of, of a live fight being in Vegas. I mean, I've been to Vegas for my first time, and it was, like, intoxicating. Like, I went for Mayweather Coda. It was my first time ever out there. Uh, I went tagged along with you, and I was like, I want to do this every day. So I can just imagine what it must have been like for you. So obviously CompuBox didn't get made until 1985. But, you know, so you have two years in between. So what were those from 83 to 85? What, what did you do before? Well, Copybox? I just continued the same. Again, in 84, I left Sports Illustrated. 84, I left Sports Illustrated because a company called Sports Information Database was, was starting. And this guy had a great idea. It's when portable computers first came out. Not the little laptop like you have there. Yeah. They were portable computers with floppy disk drives. The idea was to take the take this computer, go to a venue, mm -hmm. and type your you know you create your report, and you could send your information directly from the computer to your home base. It was like a, there was a modem they called it back then. That's how you would send the information. And uh, we're at this database. Me and Logan were hired as boxing editors. Um, Just at this point, you had a little bit of a resume, so you couldn't go for a job at yeah. I had to, I had I had the research. Database. Yeah, I had to research for, for HBO um, as, a, as a good reference. Um, and some guy came in one afternoon with a uh, tennis program. He had been to the U.S. Open, and he created a box score for tennis. Yeah. And me and Logan were looking at each other. Like, and we knew that the place was in financial trouble. Yeah. We were saying, we have to get, got to get out of this place. It's going nowhere. And um, we had uh, pro the program was written while we were at the database, the boxing program, the first pro, it was called Fight Stat back then, mm -hmm. and it was pretty simple, you know, jab, non-jab, power, non, non, a power punch, connect, miss, and we had it written and um, took it to some off-TV fights. I want to get a little more in-depth here. Like, you say you just, like, kind of gloss over the fact that, yeah, we jab, jab, and, like, with the computer, but, like, where were you the day where it's like, yo, we need to get stats in boxing, like... How did it come about? Like, how did it, like, where did you come from? Because if you really love boxing, all you really got out of boxing uh, was like a tail of the tape. There was no stats. There was a tail of the tape. It was a fighter's record, knockout percentage. There was really nothing else other than those basic stats. Do you remember the day or, like, kind of like the moment where you're like, hmm, this is like a light Yeah, when we were just, head. I remember we were sitting in lunch. That's and wild. We're, and we're, yeah, and. I look at it. I remember saying to Logan, "Are you thinking what I'm thinking?" He said, "Yeah, we could do, we could do this." And we were crazy enough to think that's could do it, and never crazy. thought once that would was we were going to fail. That's it was just like fate. We just said, "Yeah, we're going to get it done." And um, 
like I said, we had the program written and we went to a couple of fights off TV, um, got out the kinks, and then we took it to MSG, uh, the Garden. John Condon, who at the time was the voice of the Garden, he was the announcer at the Ali Frazier weigh-in. Wow. He was the voice of the Knicks in the mm-hmm. Garden. And uh, we took it to him. We said, we have this new program. Would you mind if we, um, you know, would you use it on this Friday night show? He said, yeah, we're, and we're not going to charge anything. So we... Yeah, just like a tryout. Tryout. We recorded it. We recorded the uh, that show. And then we took it back to Ross at HBO, who I had known... Very smart move, Dad. From... Uh, <laughs> Who had known from you know from from researching? Yeah. We go into the meeting. I'll never forget it. We go up to his. So, okay, I'm gonna set the stage a little bit here. So at this point, you have you've you've ran the the numbers at off TV fights. Right. You've seen that it works, or at least that it, it's plausible to work. Well, yeah, because we went back and recounted. You know, we yeah. recounted again to see that, that it was accurate. I think we had like a gift to to count the punches. What was it like the first that first off TV fight where you struggling? Like I know how hard it was. I don't re- no, I honestly don't recall like saying I don't think we could do this. It was just like there was no doubt. Right. I think a lot of it had to do now that you mention it. I did a little I used to go to fights in Atlantic City with a camera. I was trying to right. take pictures. And I remember I was able to to time a punch landed. You've seen that yeah, one, one picture. Yeah, one picture in your office that guy that looked like you for some reason. Howard Davis Villamar Fernandez. And um, I was able to time the time the punches landed, so I think that helped with you know the, yeah. the focus. Wow! So yeah, there's another reason. And then I know this going back a tiny bit, but the fact that the guy that wrote the program for CompuBox didn't he play on your softball? Team? Well, that was later. The original program okay. was written um, while we were at the database. Gotcha. The database went under, right? Right, right? Meanwhile, it goes under. We still have an HBO contract because. Let me go back to the meeting. At the meeting with Ross. All right, I was trying to set that up. Now you step, you walk into the meeting, uh, you and Logan. You and Logan, yeah. And you go into Ross Greenberg's into office. his office. He's at this point, he's a high up producer at HBO. They're still, Sports. yeah, but they're flying high right now. HBO. This is like you know they the mid eighties. The they had top yeah. of the fighters. You know, HBO Every, was established at that point. Everybody and anybody was on HBO back then, okay. and Tyson was coming. Too. Tyson was coming, and then you so you go in the office, and this right here is your pitch. To that, CompuBox should be on all, should be a, a client of HBO's. Yeah, we said we have this program here, and and Ross is like, all right, fire it up. So we fire up the computer, <laughs> and uh, he put a fight on. I think he put a fight on VCR. Yeah. And we we counted. We showed him how it works, and uh, he just looked at us like. So you guys, you will do this live? You can sit at a fight ringside? He said, yeah, well, yeah, why not? Yeah. He goes, well, the first fight um, is Bramble versus Mancini. And um, Mancini throws a lot of punches. I'm like, okay, good. Well, it's actually kind of a good thing. It's like trial by fire here. Yeah. Like, just right. get in there and, like, if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. If you can't count all those punches that, that Ray Mancini throws, you're probably never going to be able to do it. Right. So he... Uh, he asked how it works. We showed him the discs and everything, and never had a uh, no battery backup. It only had AC power. You got if I can just explain what this computer looked like. Look like as a kid, this thing was <laughs> monstrous. It was like I don't I can't even explain. It was like a, like like a, a sewing machine. machine. Yeah. It was huge. It had a, a brown screen with yellow font. It was all computer. The screen was this the screen big. Was the like computer was less than eight inches big. It's like something the thing the weighed Jetsons. like fifty pounds. If right. we ever, in our house, if we ever even went near that computer, 
we got punished for for months <laughs> on end because that was pretty much your livelihood. It was your livelihood. Like we couldn't go near that thing. That thing went down. Box at that point might have gone under. I guess what? It was our only computer too. We weren't even smart enough to have the backup. Now I, you know how I am. We back yeah, up you're, everything. You're a business starting. A, you know, just starting a business, you don't have all the means to. We had do a that. client for we had the biggest client and no business savvy at all, just all right. a client. To yeah, start so with. Ross says yes. Well, we're gonna. Oh, but he goes all right. So that's how it works. I'm like yeah. Now I'm imagining you and Logan leaving the room like in Seinfeld, where George, where George and Jerry get the NBC show and they're kind of just like high five exactly. and dancing that's, around. That's what it was like. Ross goes okay. Um, you're gonna work this. You're gonna work the show in Reno, Nevada, Ramble Mancini. Uh, Flo will be in touch with you guys for you know your travel. I'm like, all right, Flo. Okay, so we're we're I guess we have a, I guess we have a deal. So I remember walking out of the office and like it was similar to that scene with the Seinfeld. Like he's you know smacking five. I'm like, we're in business, and that was it. You know that was the first that was uh, that was January of '85, and then um, the next month was Bramble Mancini. That was a, a crazy fight, and just to like fast forward ahead, I was doing a MMA because we do MMA now, just to show you how far it's come since there. This past week, I was at the, the Garden for the PFL event, and I happened to see Stitch Duran there, legendary cut man, extraordinaire, UFC, boxing, everything. This guy knows his cuts, and he comes over to the computer and he goes, he looks at the screen, he goes, is that, is that Compu Box? I said, Yeah, it is, and he goes, Wow. I said, You know my dad, Bob, and he saw it. He goes, Yeah, I know Bob. That's crazy that you guys are, are, are still doing this. I was like, yeah. I was like, and I looked over to the, my partner that I was doing the show with. And I was like, yeah, first fight was in uh, Bramble Mancini. And then Stitch Duran stops and goes, I was at that fight. And uh, I saw your dad there. And, uh, you know, all of us were like, this is never going to work. This is stupid. And, uh, you know, and then he was very, uh, gave us a lot of compliments about how mm -hmm. far you brought it. So it's funny, like, you brought up Mancini and Bramble going back to 1985. Just to see someone who was there that night, That's Stitch funny. Duran, tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, we it, we got a lot of resistance early on. No, well, um, Larry Merchant called it a computer toy. Computer toy. I wanted to choke him after every fight. I used to go up to Ollie Dunlop, who was Ray Leonard's business guy. He used to travel on the road with him. And I'm like, I want to I want to just choke him. Did you hear what he said? A computer toy. And Ollie would be like, don't worry about it. As long as Ross, as long as you're good with Ross... You're okay. Well, you got to figure the boxing world at that time, like it, it, like you said, it was only tail of tape. It was um, a sport where everyone is so subjective, like who they think wins fights. It's old school. It was one of the oldest sports of all time. That and horse racing. So no one wants any like no one likes anything new, any new gadget. So you come along with your your punch counts. You know, the, the even the most hardened boxing fan, like Larry Merchant, is gonna say no right away. He's gonna reject it. Plus. That's plus everyone's an expert in boxing, so well, yeah. everyone could say, "Will tell we don't need a, I don't need a computer to tell me who's throwing more punches or who you know who's not throwing punches." But this gave you some instead of saying, "What sounds better?" Or he just threw a flurry of punches, or he threw twenty punches and landed ten, or gee, he's not throwing his hands enough. Oh yeah, he's only throwing twenty punches around. It's like grist for the mill, as they say. It just yeah. gave the TV, the announcers something more to talk about. And now it's evolved into so much more because you can't watch any sporting event now without without having stats. Well, that's so, another thing is when I talk to announcers, Barry Tompkins, who was on the call for the first ever fight, Jim Lampley, who, if you've watched boxing, you hear how many times he mentions the word CompuBox. Go up to Joe Tessitore today. 
all of them talk about how much of it. I mean, I call fights, and I know how much it, it, it you need it. Like th- these things, not only does it help the fans at home for a barometer, as you say, or just paints a little bit of a picture. It, it helps the broadcasters so much, like Jim Lampley and, and Tompkins. It just it builds a narrative while you're watching a fight. Yeah, you know, because as it evolved too, you know, we must have eight thousand fights in the database. Now we can tell you what a fighter, what a fighter averages, like in a five to ten fight profile. Right. We can tell you what he throws, and compare it to tonight's performance. We can also tell you weight class records. You know, oh, 120 punches. That's that's a featherweight record. Um, you know things like that. So you, we can we can also now associate uh, fighters' performance with with past performances. It's a personal best. It's a weight class record. It's more than just putting up a stat punches in the round. So okay. it's evolved into more. No, of course, now today it's everywhere, and the numbers are used by networks to build graphics and for for writers in their post fight reports. But back to 1985, when you're at the Bramble Mancini. Before you guys got to the ringside, I mean, what was it like, first of all, flying out there and, like, were you nervous? Were you, like, no, I was, excited? Or was it, like, were you kind of just playing with house money at that point? I was, we were a little, we were a little nervous. I would say I was, a, but I never had any doubt that it wasn't going to, that we weren't going to do our job. I, I didn't have any idea how it was, how it was going to be received. I didn't know. I don't think Ross even knew how it was going to be received or how well we were going to perform under fire. Because as you know, in that fight, uh, Mancini threw fifteen hundred punches. Yeah. It was a fifteen round fight. Stitch said, "And goes, man, they threw a lot of punches that night." And Bramble threw, Thramble threw like eight hundred, and landed half the punches. Meanwhile, Mancini's throwing fifteen hundred, only landing like twenty percent. But the crowd's going crazy because they love Mancini, and he's just throwing his hands all night. And of course, it was a split decision. I mean, Bramble clearly won the fight, but they, they scored a split, mm. and the numbers came up. And it was right away a little controversy right away, but we got great. Well, that's like the best thing you can ask for is in a comp- for a CompuBox fight is when it's a very close fight. It could go either way, and then the numbers are plastered everywhere. Right, and you're not going to please everybody. Certain guys are going to see a fight one way and are going to either agree or disagree with the numbers. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a perfect. That was right out of the gate. We were right in the middle of a you know of so, a hot yeah. fight. So Ross Ross is happy with it, and so you move on. And now I'm going to move on to this the second portion of uh, this interview, and that's, like, the crazy moments. Because people don't know about CompuBox and you, Bob Kenobi, is that you were pretty much at every fight, big, small, every state, multiple continents. So you've almost seen almost every punch in boxing. <laughs> from punch? Does, that mean I'm, does that mean I'm punchy? Yeah. Well, we never. that's the beauty of CompuBox. We never have to get into the ring. Right. We were sitting there, and we respect those fighters because look at what's done for us uh, as a family and everything. But... You know, the crazier moments, I'm going to get into that. So it's now your fourth fight that you've ever done is Hagler-Hearns. Uh, third fight. Third fight. So, yeah. So Hagler-Hearns, and that, that must have been just That ridiculous. fight, will not, I don't think anything will top that night. The anticipation um, of that fight, perfect night, outdoors at Caesars Palace, which is another, you know, it's just uh, a surreal atmosphere. Uh, the Pointer Sisters sing the national anthem. They draped the big flag down the side of Caesars. Mm-hmm. And uh, we knew it was going to be a good fight, but no, we never, ever expected that. Well, people but, say it's the best fight of all time. Well, first round starts, and they just come out smoking. They're throwing, didn't stop punching the whole round. The place is going crazy. I'm, I didn't know what Logan's counting. He didn't know what I was counting. So, you, you know, you just hope for the best. The round ends. I look down, 
because I had Hagler, and it's 80, 81 punches thrown, all power punches, 43 landed, no jabs. And Hearns was like 83 thrown, whatever it was, 30-something landed. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was surreal. It was, it was just a tremendous. And that fight ended up going three rounds. But that's the fight that put us on the map because at the time, USA Today was the big newspaper, yeah. and they were the national paper. And they put up a graphic. Plenty I think you of, still had that in your office, Yeah, right? plenty of punches thrown. And they put up a graph of the two fighters and the punches thrown. And, uh, and didn't also Johnny Carson mentioned it on his? Well, yeah, that must have been a thrill for you. Because I know how much of a Johnny Carson fan you are. Well, first I remember back and I remember saying to Logan after after the round, like we we get paid for this. I mean, it was like it was unbelievable. After the fight, Lo, uh, Marvin's big you, gets on Johnny Carson show, and what I'm watching, and he Johnny goes, boy, there was some first round you had, Marvin. No jabs. You threw all. Jeez. You threw all power punches. And Marvin goes, "Yeah, you know, I wanted to come out. I wanted to take it right to Did him." You jump and out of your bed. I'm like, I yeah. I mean, I it was. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Um, yeah. So that was the whole experience uh, was this was this incredible. And then we just you know after that they were doing like it was almost every month after that HBO was doing shows. Yeah. So and, at that point it's it's 1985. Right. Box, the first year Box started, and then a guy named by the name of Mike Tyson comes along. And, you know, we at Box have tracked almost nearly all of his fights, and we had Joe Tessitore on the show last week. He was at his pro debut, and you count a lot of, of Tyson fights. He he works his way up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, obviously, you were there for his, when he won the title. Yeah. You were there for, um, you know, some of his biggest fights. But one fight in particular that I want to talk about with Tyson is Tyson Douglas. Tyson in Tokyo Douglas. Dome, nineteen eighty eight. I'm in the picture now. I'm born. I'm one years old. Didn't even know you were there. But Tyson Douglas, take us through everything that that experience. We had been to Tokyo, um, I think a year before. Tyson fought Tony Tubbs. Um, it was two rounds. We flew all that my all that way, and it was two rounds. And then we hear we're going back. He's going to fight Douglas. Who uh, and then they're going to fight Holyfield next? But he wanted to, they they weren't they were not going to turn down the payday. It wasn't Holyfield was in attendance. Holyfield right? was sitting next to me during the fight. <laughs> wow! And uh, you know we were talking about where the fight's going to be when he fights Tyson. He was all excited and uh, Douglas was a hot and cold kind of heavyweight. When he was on, he was really on. When he was bad, he was bad. We figured Tyson was going to walk right through him. Um, little did we know, Douglas's mother had passed away prior to the fight. He dedicates the fight to his mother and, you know, fights the fight of his life. So we get there, it's, um, it had to be like 7 o'clock in the morning because of the time difference. That we had a report very yeah. early. We get set up, it's probably noon now, at noon Tokyo when the fight started. And, How uh, old are you in, at this point? 88? I was third, uh, in 88, I was 34. 34 years old, yeah. Going on 20. Yeah. But yeah. 34. Um, 34 years old. Uh, they start the fight, and right away in the first round, Douglas was start, was hitting Tyson with everything, head headshots, and the crowd. Even though it was forty thousand people, it was very very quiet. They no reaction during the fight. No clapping in between. Not like you go to a fight in Vegas or fighting at the Barclays Center where people are going crazy. No stand. They only after the round ended, they would give a polite cheer. Clap. Meanwhile, one of the biggest sports upsets are brewing. Yeah, meanwhile, we could brewing. hear the punches through the headset. You 
could hear the punches landing because it was so quiet and the punches were so clean. And this went on for what eight rounds before he finally, I think ten rounds, whatever, yeah, before 10. he finally knocked him out. And again, that was a huge, huge night for CompuBox or for HBO and for CompuBox because the stats were everywhere because it was such a big, big upset. Did you hear so, anything? I've heard this story. I've read so many articles on this fight that Tyson was like, obviously he wasn't focused for the fight. Like he was flying to like Hawaii. Like he was doing crazy stuff. Yeah, he was getting mixed up with all sorts of women and. He just was like not taking it serious at all. Well, Did you hear anything being there on site? No, we didn't. I didn't hear anything personally, but I could tell. We went to the weigh-in, and you could see he was like he wasn't. He didn't have that lather going. He was kind of like yeah, very nonchalant. Well, what is it? 41, 40 to one favorite. Yeah, forty to one. He wasn't not into the fight. He was probably looking looking forward to getting out of Japan probably, and also getting on to the whole field fight. Yeah. So. Um, we didn't think much of it. It's just going to be, you know, quick, another quick knockout. And, right, because uh, at that point, he was, he was like, indestructible. Was, right, you, there was no way Tyson was going to lose. He loses. He gets knocked down. When he gets knocked down, he's on the ground. He's looking for his mouthpiece. What are you and Logan thinking? We were stunned. We, everybody was like, we couldn't believe it. We, another surreal moment. You talk about Hagler Hearns. This was another... This was another surreal moment where, you know, we just could not believe what we were seeing, but we had to stay focused, of course, on, yeah. on the fight. Well, that's another thing I can attest to that, being ringside, and you almost get sucked up into the moment. You know, some of the biggest fights that I've done, been lucky enough to do, is like a Mayweather and McGregor, or uh, a big fight, you know, a Triple G fight where the crowd's going nuts, and you know something special's happening, but you have to be, like, razor-focused. So it, it takes, like, extreme concentration. you got to be, I mean... It, that's yeah. I mean that's you ha that's number one. Plus, you're only watching one. You have to stay focused on that one fighter. Yeah. You, you're not. You, it's easy to get caught up in like you said in everything that's happening. But you gotta you gotta stay with your fighter, and um, you know that's the way it has to be. So Tyson loses, and that's just one era. Another era. He goes on and keeps fighting, and you spend a lot of time with Tyson. And you know, just a week after uh, his fight, he gets knocked out. There's this infamous photo. Of uh, I was three years old. You're holding me. Mike Tyson is. I'm looking at it right now. Mike Tyson's right in the middle of us. And that was a week after he got knocked out. And that's a picture that has long been circulating on my social medias for for years now. And it's just like wow. I was really in the, in the middle of it. Yeah. Again, it was just one of those moments. He he came to the studio. I'm surprised he showed up. They re-aired the fight, and he came to the studio. No one expected him to show up because he got beat. Mm -hmm. But he did show up, and I figured. Uh, I figured we we you know try to get a picture with him, but you were sleeping two seconds before that, so I tapped you on the shoulder, and I said, "Look," and he and you go, "That's Mike Tyson," <laughs> out of nowhere, and he and he's like looking at you, he's like he's got nice hair. I'm like, "All right, I thanks, think, Mike." I think that's enough, Mike. His mom, I, mean, I watched over to you. Well, mom, mom was there too. Mom, went, mom came in. Wow, yeah. that's just that just shows you this was a long time. Yeah. Ago. Right, so, mom came along. And it's funny because I, I was at Mayweather Kodo and I was working for HBO doing some PA work and I had the I was like, if I ever meet Tyson, I'm gonna have this photo ready to go. There he was standing there at his seat sitting at his at his seat, eating some popcorn. I ran over to him, I showed him the picture. Yeah. I said I said, Mike, this is me right here and this is my dad and, and this is 
taken in 1990. He lost his mind. He was so happy to see it. He was showing strangers. Yeah. He was like, look at this. Look, I'm so old. And yeah. gave me like a hug, and it was really cool. So I'm, one day, I, I swear we will re recreate that photo. That'd be cool. A lot of denim in that shot, too. It's extremely denim. You have the push broom mustache, which is just impressive. A lot going on. A lot going like on. Tom Selleck, Magnum P.I. A lot going on. All right, folks, so, so Tyson, we're going to fast forward to the fan man. Ah. People always want to like bring up the craziest boxing moments. If you go to YouTube, like, and you type in crazy moments, Fan Man will come out. Holyfield bow, and you know Las Vegas outside, which in the middle of a great heavyweight fight, and all of a sudden a Fan Man comes down, and that all hell breaks loose. Well, yeah, we. The funny thing is, we have to get there early, as you and Nick know, to do the setup. Mm -hmm. So we're out. We're at Caesars. It's a nice day. It was warm. And uh, the sun's starting to settle, set down. And I remember hearing this noise, and I look up, and you could see there was something. I thought it was a small plane. You could hear this noise. Of the, there was a, the guy, the fan man was already up. He was doing some test runs. He was doing some, <laughs> some yeah, some navigating. And uh, we didn't think anything of it. In fact, I mentioned something on the headset. My buddy Mike Whalen at the time was, was taking the stats then. And I'm like, Mike, did did you, you guys see that this guy, there's a, something flying around a plane, but he's... You, you tip people off. He's ho hovering. He's like not too high. He's, looks like he's, you know, kind of close to the, to the venue. And they took shots of it, but no one thought anything of it. And then, you know, it got dark, and then the fight started, and it was a good fight. Right. They really were, were going at it. And the next thing you know, you hear a little commotion, and boom, this guy... <laughs> Land the ropes. He almost made it into the ring. That was his goal. He made it to like the second rope. Yeah. What stopped him was the parachute hit, hit the lights. Yeah, the, uh, like the, the tress, expansion thing. Yeah, there. and that stopped him from getting all the way in the ring. And I remember the fighters like just pulling back, and they stopped. And then this guy ended up being draped backwards. And he landed in the wrong spot. Oh, he landed, just got his ass kicked, right? Yeah, because he landed by Bo's entourage. You don't want to mess with the Bo crew. Rock Newman and his boys were, uh, yeah, they were a rough bunch. And that one guy beat him with the with the walkie-talkie. Yeah, he he, yeah, he got pummeled with the walkie-talkie with a flashlight. I remember going over to see see who this asshole was that did this, and I look, and his head of helmet, the helmet is cracked from the shot. From getting hit with the flesh. Well, from our perspective, I remember watching the fight with all our brothers. We used to order the pay-per-views when you would be there. And I remember seeing the fan man come, and it scared the hell out of me because they had that one shot. It was like a great shot by HBO where it was like you can see his silhouette like coming down. So I'm thinking in my head, like, who is this like superhero rocket? What was that movie, Rocket Man? Or who is this guy landing in the ring? And then he gets, his, he gets absolutely pummeled and stops the fight. One of the craziest moments in boxing history. It was. It was. I mean, you can't predict something like that to happen. And then there was a little bit of chaos too, because the lights, the the parachute was was pressing against the light, and it was. They started to smoke. They were afraid there was going to be a fire. Mm -hmm. So one of the uh, one of the uh, ringside techies, not Paul Hogart, our buddy, the guy who groomed him, I okay. forgot the guy's name, yeah. went up, shimmied his way up the side, and and. Got the, the strings cut, and stuff, and cut the Jeez. yeah, cut it away. It was like a thirty-minute break, right? Yeah, it was a good thirty-minute break, and cut you know prevented a fire. Who knows what could have? He might have had to stop the fight, and wow. 
So yeah, that was just another another bizarre chapter in uh, yeah, so in the world the, of boxing. That's the mid '90s, and there's so many things I can bring up, and like so many stories. So you know, they got the De- rise of De La Hoya, uh, Tyson, the heavyweight divisions on fire, Toro Gatti's bursting onto the scene. Uh, you know, some of the fighters in their '80s are, are finishing out the twilight of their career, but moving forward to like De La Hoya, and we're moving forward to more heavyweights. The heavyweights kind of were a big deal in the '90s and late '90s. So we go fast forward to Madison Square Garden. Rick Bo, Andre Galata, mm-hmm. the brawl that people still bring up to me to this day. And, you know, people say, well, yeah, was your dad there? I'm like, yeah, he was there. And I remember watching as a kid. That's when I was really scared. Like, or all of our brothers, like, because we were thinking you were getting hurt there. That was a bizarre night. It was the, like the perfect storm because, again, you had Bo, Bo's crew who who were, you know, rough. a rough bunch. looking. I wouldn't say they were looking for trouble, but they wouldn't uh, back down from it. And you had Galata's crew, let's face it. A lot of Polish fans there, a lot of intoxicated Polish it was fans a there. Terrible combination if you think about it. Plus, B- Galata was hitting Bo low all night. Galata was kicking the crap out of Bo, but kept hitting him low. So that further infuriated the Bo fans. And then when Galata was disqualified, the Polish fans didn't understand why. They figured their boy was winning, right. and then all, you know all hell broke loose, um, and it was a serious. There were fights all over the place. So what happened? Like, when the first initial thing happened, you got to protect the computer. Yeah, the first thing we did. You know, like protect yourself at all times. For us, copybots, you protect that damn computer. <laughs> it's true. We packed it up. Honestly, we packed the computer up as quickly as we could, put it away, and then we were kind of like, you know, check fending for ourselves. We didn't know what what was coming next, and then we. Figure up well, Foreman. George Foreman was working then, so we figured we're going to hang by George. I think uh, we had Lampley on the show, and he talks about uh, was it Lampley or someone? Buffer. Buffer says, "I asked Buffer, what's the craziest moment of your career?" He says, "The brawl," and you know something that made him feel like safe during that was the fact that George Foreman was right there, and he actually stopped the fan. Like you can hear it on live on HBO. I could hear him say it. Foreman had one of the great lines. Some guy was itching his way towards the announce position. Yeah. And and George just said to me, "You don't you don't want to do that," and the guy like this kind of backed off. But Lampley's daughter was there. Yeah, I remember he was he was, was ner- he was he was really um, he was upset. So you can imagine us at home watching. We were all like crying because we were like thought like you were hurt or you were in the middle of it. You don't understand. I was like ten years well, old. I had Logan to protect me. No yeah, one, nobody, Logan nobody, Hobson. Nobody, nobody. He would have dabbed them with cigarette butts. So that was the crazy like some of the crazier moments and and. Uh, I don't want to fast forward even further. One of my favorite personal fighters of all time is Toro Gotti. One of your favorites. We count a lot of his fights. You actually became friends with him over the years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you were there at Gotti Ward. Gotti Ward, yeah. Again, Jeez. a fight that was under the radar. Lou DiBella, our good friend. Lou, friend of the program, friend of the family. Was running boxing then, and he just had a knack for putting the right fights together. This fight... Ward had seven or eight losses. Gotti had five losses. Neither one had a title, but it was the perfect fight for boxing at the dark, right? Yeah. Back then, apparently, it was okay to have a couple of losses. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. There wasn't even a poster for the fight. It wasn't billed as, you know, a big a big fight. And, little, you know, as it turns out, it was one of the greatest fights ever. Um, that's one of the few fights where I, you know, was I wouldn't say sick to my stomach, but... Almost like ready to like walk away because of the way they were just punishing Beating each other. The crap out of each other. Yeah, that ninth round. What was that ninth round? Like? It was incredible. It was like it just rent. You know, your gut. It just wretches your gut because you you can't believe 
that a fighter can take that much punishment, especially Gotti. That's why, you know, I think really, I never really, you never try to get too close to these guys because you become yes, friends. Exactly. And then you see them, but Gotti, I couldn't help but become friends with him. You just, you know, admire the guy so much. But that was gut-wrenching to see him take that kind of punishment and then come back. And then you're just so happy that it's over. So what it's was exhilarating. It like, what was it like after the fights, when everyone goes out afterwards? Did everyone kind of realize that they just witnessed, like, history or they Every, just witnessed yeah. something special? What was it like after? Everybody was just, again, you know, everybody in boxing is an expert and everyone has their favorite fights. But I think it was pretty unanimous that night that you saw something special that night and that neither guy is, is human and right away they're saying they got to fight again they got to see they end up fighting two more i times. remember saying to lou we were we were out and like they got to fight again he goes he goes we got to make sure they're okay first again they got to want to fight each other again because yeah. they both you know but that's that's what the immediate reaction was well oh my god and they got to fight again lou lou you got to make you got to make that fight again and they ended up in this hospital together, next yeah, to each other. That's an iconic photo. In the same. We in have this, another photo that, here, yeah. them with their arms around each other. And yeah. Gotti's my favorite fighter. I was lucky enough to meet him before his last fight in Atlantic City, and uh, I love going to Gotti fights in Atlantic City as a kid. Uh, it's one of the many great stops. That along with uh, uh, Mystic Connecticut mm -hmm. for Friday night fights, we go to the Mystic Hilton. With yeah. The whole family. Family night. So that's a part of CompuBox that a lot of people at home don't realize that it's it's a family business. It's just like growing up as a kid, there was nothing cooler than going to ringside. Yeah, it was a good, and, and for me, it was a great feeling too to have you guys come, you know, come to the fights. Nick used to come and used to draw, used yeah. to sketch, do his little sketches at ringside. And then Buffer used to say, oh, look at those guys. Look at yeah, Buffer, Buffer loved you guys. I think seeing Buffer as a kid was like the coolest thing in the world, and Jim Lampley would come over and talk to you. George Foreman used to call me on my birthday. Yeah, he would, yeah. There was a couple of years in a row where you weren't able to uh, be at my birthday because there were fights. Yeah. And so you would make up for, for George Foreman would call me up. Dan, someone's talked to you. And they'd be like, <laughs> hey, champ, this is George Foreman. And they'd be like a, like a recording. I'd be like, hi. You know, I just want to wish you a happy birthday and be good, be good out there. Don't be getting into any trouble. And I, it would be like the coolest thing in the world. So yeah, George was good that way. He really, it was like a fan, like you said. All CompuBox is a family business, but the whole boxing, you know, the whole production crew, it, it, it's more or less like a family as well. So um, it's it's a great a great environment to work in, and it's been that way. You know, I'm bringing up one. all these fights. I mean, these are some of the ones that I think that. Some of your crazy moments. What's your favorite experience over 33 years? Well, we we talked about Hagelhearns. That was uh, a, a, a unforgettable night because it was so new. It was our third fight. That was the third fight we ever did That's was nice. Hagelhearns. Um, for me, I guess maybe Leonard Leonard Hagler was it was a special yeah, night. I skipped over so many again because we knew Ray. We were friends with Ray Leonard from he was worked for HBO. We became friends. We hung out. He laid off three and a half years to fight Hagler with no tune-up. We thought he was honestly thought he was going to get killed. Because I remember when the fight was announced, and I saw Ray. At, it was at a production meeting for another fight. I go up, I just looked at him like he goes, "What? What? You, you think I'm going to get my ass kicked?" I'm like, "No, no, I don't think so." But he could tell by the look on on everyone's face. Well, that's probably face. what drove him to do it, right? Yeah, that he that he you know you say you can't do it. And but Hagler Hearns was like ended up being a better fight than. Than uh, Leonard uh, Hagler, but there was no bigger like buildup ringside from what you've told me than Hagler Leonard, Frank Sinatra, 
Oh yeah, every everybody and anybody was there. So if you watch the Legendary Knights, it's like unbelievable. It's like the Pacquiao Mayweather. Yeah, I mean Frank Sinatra was there. Um, uh, all the top act: Tom Selleck, uh, Chevy Chase was hot at the time. Bo Derek, uh, the Pointer Sisters. I mean, yeah. it was it was just an un- every it was the place to be. It was the place to be, and the fight lived up to the billing too. You know, a lot of times these fights get hyped and they don't live up to the billing. But it turns out that you know Ray Ray Leonard stole stole the show that night. What's the so. craziest? And I'm thinking about all the travel aspects of, of it. Being going to you know you've been to South Korea, you've been to uh, London for for Klitschko fights. You know I'm probably Mexico, Japan, Japan. Bull ring in Mexico. I was gonna was say cool. like what's your craziest like travel story? Probably going to uh, to Korea for the Olympics because it was such a long flight. You know we had uh, we had like three stops. To, just to get to Japan, then we had another layover to get to Korea. I remember getting into the lobby with Logan and Wally Matthews was there as well. He's working for NBC, and just not knowing, having no clue where I was, what time it was. It was just total, you know, being disorientated from the from the um, the time difference. Mm-hmm. That was probably the most, you know, the most grueling trip. But but it, at the time. It was just part of the deal because it was again it was all new, and this was our we felt that this was our big chance too, with the Olympics because it was yeah, on national. Back then, the Olympics was boxing was big. Big and it was on every day, twice a day. There were two sessions a day back then. And you were there ringside for the when Roy Jones got robbed. Right, we said, we hate to say it, but to really make a splash for CompuBox, we have to help an American fighter get screwed in the finals. Yeah, and then the numbers will be everywhere. The numbers will be everywhere, and sure enough, Roy Jones gets screwed in the uh, in the final, and everybody ran ran with the numbers, and as a result of that, we had only had HBO as a contract then. Then yeah. we had NBC only for that Olympic period. Mm-hmm. We got ESPN right after that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. Then you got ESPN and the Friday night fights, and that's when you were traveling a lot. I remember that's as a when kid, I'm... like you were gone every weekend. Yeah, I mean it wasn't. It, it it wasn't fun. The travel part, saying goodbye, wasn't fun. It really wasn't. Yeah, but then, yeah, but you were home from like Monday to Friday. You were yeah. like hanging out with us after school. Like you were there. Like not right. like no other dads were. If I had to do, if I would have had to work the weekends and then work during the week, something it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked out because that's how I justified yeah. being away on the weekends was by being home, getting up in the morning, make you guys breakfast, <laughs> yeah. being there in the afternoon when you got off the bus, come to all our games. Come to the games. That meant a lot to me too. To to see, get all, be there when you got off the bus, and you know, stuff like that. So it all balanced out. Yeah. Now look where it is today. Now we got through all the big fights, and where it is today, it's we're with HBO, or with Showtime, or with ESPN, or with everyone. Germans are calling now. Germans are calling. It's yep. everywhere. So it's like I know like people don't understand what CompuBox is. They think of it as a, literally as a computer. They don't know that there's a human behind it. They're a guy that loves boxing, and that's another thing. Whenever I hear people criticize, I'm like, do you guys even know, like, the, the guy who created this, how much he loves the sport and how much he's in the trenches? And I know you're never going to tell anyone that, but I want to say it now that, like, pe- people don't know that you love boxing. Like, Yeah, of course. I mean. You have to, to spend this, many, this much time with it. Well, even from day one, if we didn't love boxing and trust our, trust our instincts, we wouldn't have been able to pull off the copy box. With, with you know, with the criticism that it received in the early days, even still it does, because you know, like you said, everybody's an expert in boxing, but 
we always felt that no, I always felt that you do, you do your job, you do it right, and no one's going to outwork me. And, and you know, and the, and it, and it, you know, the proof's in the pudding, as they say. So over the last like ten years, this new era of boxing, and what have you seen? What's different now when you go to ring when you go to ringside and you go to fights? When we go out to Vegas for the occasional Mayweather or. You know, I went out with you for Mayweather McGregor, and I wanted, I remember from hearing all these stories from you, I wanted to like be part of something. That's why I made it a fact to go to Mayweather Pacquiao, even though yeah. I wasn't working for CompuBox. I just went because I wanted to be there. I wanted to have my, like, Hagler Hearns moment. And my biggest, what do you think is the biggest difference now? What do you see now? Well, I still, and I still enjoy a big fight. I, I, was, I was pumped for Mayweather Pacquiao and even Mayweather McGregor because I didn't honestly didn't know what to expect in that yeah, fight. Wild. I had butterflies. I still get them before a fight. If you don't, then you're not. You know, you shouldn't be in the business. Butterfly. What, what, what did I look like? I was on the punt. I actually counted uh, McGregor. Well, when we, let's put it this way. Nick knows about the sheet that we fill out when the first round ended. Dan's looking at the at the screen and his hand is like locked up. I had like claws. I couldn't. I was so amped up. And I'm I was like, so nervous. I'm like, right. I'm like, come on, man. Let's go. Write the numbers down. We'll be. Every, it's just another fight. I forgot yeah. what I said to you, but after that, everything uh, everything went smooth. But yeah, the moment got to me. The moment that happens. The first yeah for the first like the build up. I mean, the moment that they got into the ring and they were both staring at each other. Is when I was like, oh my god! Like I've done a lot of big fights, but like this is by far being ringside and like the the amount of like scrutiny and and the amount of eyeballs that were on this fight it wasn't your average boxing match. Well, yeah, I try not to think about that. I try not to think about you know. But we're also human. Everyone's know? watching, and 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 you start thinking about over the years how much significance the stats have. You don't, you know, people are going to look for the stats, especially when it's a controversial fight. Yeah. But that's all part of the deal. It's the big, you know, it's the big leagues. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta tune that part out and just focus well, on. Yeah, gotta one, figure this is. It's just it's a fight, but we have no bearing on the outcome. That's another thing people don't realize is right. like we, the judges don't see the numbers. The judges don't see them. They, it's for the broadcaster. It's for the fans. Yes, it helps. You know, maybe with a rematch and. And there are a lot of fighters out there. Have any fighters come up to you and been like upset with their numbers? I know that happens a lot. Yeah, I get it occasionally. I honestly thought it would happen more often where fighters would. I've had managers come up to me. I mean, Larry Larry Holmes's uh, trainer uh, chased me down the uh, chased me down the sidewalk at the Las Vegas Hilton before the rematch with Spinks because he didn't agree with with the stats from the first fight. And he was trying to intimidate me. You know, for the second fight, and do that, what? And to me, do what? Count less punches. He wanted me. Probably wanted us to, you know, jack I'll up jack Holmes's, up the Holmes's which punches. We've never done ever. Oh, it's it's just so ridiculous. It. I read those things on Twitter. I know you don't like when I bring up like the critics and the haters because everyone has haters. And I don't believe. I believe that if you don't have haters, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, you're obviously successful if you have people chirping you. And we see these people are like, you know, CompuBox is paid off by the HBO. CompuBox is, is corrupt. It, it's no, paid so, off by the promoter. That's by the what promoter. still pisses me off. It's just hilarious to read those those things because it's so far from the truth, and it just just shows you how many idiots are out there. Yeah, I mean, you you know me. I I, I get pissed off on occasion. Someone will push the buttons, but I've learned to try to you know just overlook it and. Uh, it's Twitter, right? Everyone has, you know, everyone's is brave when they're when they're on Twitter and they yeah. can say what they want to say. But all I can say is, if it wasn't accurate, if we were, if we weren't straight up, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't have survived what thirty three years. So, yeah. um, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that 
we've always gave you know the best straightforward effort every time out. Who are some of your favorite people in boxing? Some oh, of I, your biggest influence, people that helped you get to this point, or some or along the line, people that maybe guys that we don't know about, you know, behind oh, the scenes. I guess I, I uh, Ross Greenberg will always be at the top of the list because you know he trusted us. He tr we never really did a demo fight for HBO. As I said earlier, we went from a small off TV show to the first fight for HBO. He and he even said it when he at the at the thirty year uh, when they did the article on we had the thirty year uh, party. Yeah. He said maybe I maybe I trusted Logan and Bob too much, but he he believed in us. Well, he he's a visionary. I mean, he did a lot of big things with you know replay and, and yeah, it fit into their putting form. the microphones in the corners. He did a lot of cutting edge stuff at HBO. Yeah, one of them was hiring CompuBox. It fit into his format because they had didn't have commercials at HBO, so this was a nice way of filling in the corners. But Ross, uh, Lou DeBell is another another guy who is just a good friend. We 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 you know we had a lot of good times together. You know what it's like growing up having with you having a friend like Lou, the guy <laughs> that you think is larger than life, going to his house in Huntington and, and jumping in his giant pool and running around his uh, tennis courts. Yeah, like yeah. as a kid, like I thought Lou was like I still think he's the coolest guy, but he was like wow. I mean, just growing up in the sport of boxing, and yeah. I know this is like we did this because it's Father's Day coming up this weekend and um i've been very lucky to be in the sport of boxing well thank you and i'm happy to that you're you know you're a big part of of CompuBox and, and nicholas too i'm really proud of you guys i'm proud of this whole show too this this came from nothing you guys are basically self-taught yourself as a host nick as a producer and uh you know i'm really proud of it and i'm glad everyone you know is part of uh under the CompuBox umbrella yeah i mean uh <laughs> The reason we get good guests is because of comp like the name. So whenever we, we email someone or we, we hit up all of our contacts and they come on the show because they have great respect for CompuBox and you know even you know a guy like Stitch Duran he goes CompuBox it's it's a part of boxing. Yeah. So it is. yeah, it's amazing to see where it started, going back to you just watching watching boxing in our grandfather's living room. Yeah. To now we're sitting here. I'm get to interview on Father's Day, which is a thrill. <laughs> it's kind of it's crazy. I mean, I know a lot of these answers. There's also a lot of stuff that I didn't know about. So it was, I mean, it's crazy. And now to see that you have five kids, you have five grandkids. We all love boxing. We all love sports. And I can just say, I know I speak for Nick and all of our siblings. Like, growing up was the coolest thing in the world. Like, Well, thank you. Going to fights and, and meeting Mike Tyson and all these fighters and, you know, going to Yankee games and, like, sports and mixing together. This has been like unbelievable. And let's not forget, we have to give a shout out to to Ocelia, who your mother. Yeah. Who, um, you know, was a big part of CompuBox as well. Yeah. So, getting choked up. She held down the fort. No, really. When I traveled, mom kept everything in line, kept you guys in line, never complained, never said why. You know, another fight. So. Yeah. So I'm. I don't know why I'm crying, but that's I am. it. But that was it was really cool to do this. I've always wanted to do this. Like all my friends have said you need to interview your dad. You know, we've had this show, we've interviewed Bob Costas and Tracy Morgan and and Lou DeBella and everyone's come on here. But it's like how come you don't interview your dad? And now we always look for like the moment to do it. So I figured why not do it for Father's Day and uh hear your story. I know you're not someone that likes to talk about yourself. So I'll tell you what, it's been really fun getting these stories out of you. I feel like we left out endless stories. I could we could do Endless podcast on the travel aspect of it, the actual counting of the fights, 
the, the smaller fights that we didn't even list, like, you know, the record-breaking mm-hmm. fights where guys are throwing thousands and thousands of punches, you know, blood being splattered on you, all the other behind-the-scenes guys, you know, Gennaro Hernandez, who's no longer with the Joe Carnicelli's, yeah. who have passed on, just, I mean, it's a great thing you built, and I think that you should know that. I appreciate it. Let's do it again in another 30 years. In another 30 years, we'll be talking more CompuBox. This has been a special edition of Inside Boxing Live. Father's Day. Hope everyone has a great had a great Father's Day weekend. And uh, if you have your, your parents with you, your dad, give them a call. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, everyone. Thanks.